Hi, and welcome to Creatives on Speed from Faster Ideas, where we talk to creative thinkers, makers, and doers from all walks of life about their lives and careers. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Nairn. Andy, hello. Hiya. Welcome to the show. Um, so tell us a bit more about what you do and who you are and all that. Thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm the founder of a creative agency called Lucky Generals. So we work with uh, companies like Amazon and Virgin Atlantic and Co-op and Yorkshire Tea and people like that. Um, and then I'm also the chair, which sounds like ridiculously grown up and old, uh, of a sports agency um, called Dark Horses. Uh, and they do all sorts of things in the, the world of sport, you know, um, with brands like TikTok and Nissan. Uh, so those two things keep me very busy, um, as you can imagine. But I've got a few sort of side hustles like everyone else um, has, including a thing called Lucky Bastards, uh, which helps sort of tackle hate crime on social media. Uh, and then I've just written my first book as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, uh, called Go Luck Yourself. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to that because obviously it chimes with a lot of things we do on Faster Ideas. But let's, um, that's a lot, lot of stuff that you're getting up to right now. But let's take you back, back into the past mm -hmm. and um, creativity and what part it played when you were growing up. You know, were there any particular kind of creative things that you did and what, what was it like growing up in terms of your creative pursuits? Uh, yeah, great. Well, I, I, I loved writing when I was little. Um, I've always liked writing. And I, my, my dad was a news agent, so he owned a little sh shop in the village sort of thing. Uh, I grew up in the Scottish borders and he, so I always had a brilliant supply of pens and um, jotters and things like that. I was always asking for bits of paper and notebooks and stuff. And then I'd, I'd always, I wrote lots of opening chapters to very sort of, you know, angst-ridden sort of adolescent sort of novels and I've still got them my mum kept them all so I, I feel like I should one day like stitch them all together and I'd make this like just the the uber adolescent sort of um angst-ridden novel of all time sort of thing just sort of uh you know a misunderstood outsider you know nobody understands me nobody likes me sort of you yeah know. not that I particularly had that sort of uh childhood or adolescence it's just that you, you sort of talk yourself up into uh that sort of uh you know you listen to the smiths as I did um, in the 1980s, and, and it puts you into that sort of uh, frame of mind. So there's some very funny sort of, not funny at the time, but just very funny, terrible uh, uh, sort of stories that I've written about that sort of thing. Um, and then I, I love music as well. So I played a lot of music. I always sort of loved that as a sort of, uh, um, you know, so I've played in bands, again, doing the same sort of angst-ridden sort of uh, teenage band type stuff. But I played piano and guitar and various lots of other instruments. I like just trying out instruments because I think there's something nice about music where you can, there's a pleasure, even if you don't get to the highest level at a, a particular thing, there's, there's a joy in just having a go at something like the, you know, the violin or the tin whistle or, you know, the, the harmonica or something like that. So you can just try it. Um, so lots of music and, you know, art, you know, I, lo I love to draw again, even though it wasn't necessarily the best sort of draftsman or anything like that, but just sort of doodling and cartoons and fun things like that. So um yeah, it was it was obviously the time before we had phones and all those you know kind of uh, cool things. So you basically you had to be creative, you know, in a little you know tiny little village in the middle of nowhere. That was all there was to do, really. And whereabouts was that in Scotland? You were saying borders. It's in the south of Scotland and the borders. Yeah, um, so it, it's really quite sort of remote and rural, and yeah, so you had to find ways to keep yourself interested and occupied. 
Yeah. So, and also that I love that kind of trying lots of different things. I think that's really important when you're growing up and obviously, uh, you eventually ended up in the creative industries, but what was your journey to, to advertising from, from that place in Scotland? Weird one. It was a bit of a, it was a bit of a lucky sort of stumble into it. Um, I had no sense of, you know, it was, you know, this, this place is like the furthest from the bright lights of Soho that you can imagine. It's a very down to earth, sort of quiet sort of, um, existence. And, and so I went to do law at university because I was, I liked writing and words and sort of, you know, persuasion, I guess. I said did law and I, re I really enjoyed the course actually but quite early on I realized that I didn't want to do it because it I could sort of see that the career that it would lead to would be quite sort of conservative potentially um so I had a chat with my tutor and there's just a lovely tutor that I was I was quite close to, and he he sort of said well if you if you like that sort of thing you like putting a case together for somebody and persuading people of their case and um, but you don't want to do it in a conservative environment why why do you think of advertising and I'd never even considered I didn't really think there was a thing called advertising that you know who made that stuff on the telly um but but that planted a seed in my mind that I then sort of went off and sort of explored and what what the weird thing was that this guy who gave me this advice is, um sort of went on to take the advice himself he's a guy called Alexander McCall Smith and he's now one of the biggest selling authors in the world so he gave up the law yeah. and wrote a series of much more successful books than I'll, anything I'll ever do but I mean he sold like 70 million copies of you know uh, this ladies detective agency in Botswana yeah. sort of series um, so I like to think I've played a part in his uh, success as well as vice versa. I think we talk about luck obviously but you know how lucky to have a tutor like that because you yeah. know for the most part people want to keep you on their course yeah. right yeah. so and keep you on that path so uh, he was obviously you know wavering a little bit about what he was doing so he was yeah. open to having that conversation i thought i thought uh, and actually he was one of these sort of true creative people he 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 played the um i think he played the tuba um, amongst many other sort of odd sort of quirks like yeah. that so he had lots of things going on in his life and i think he was a very good sort of role model to that degree and, and also the idea that you can change that you can make quite a big you know he was obviously an established legal professor at that time and then decides to do something different. so I feel like that's a good lesson for all of us you can always change you can always learn new stuff um you know you don't have to be defined by the first thing that you start off doing you can you know change is a good thing so you also had that conversation and then sort of how did you access the advertising industry from that point so I, I graduated got my law degree because I wanted to get that in my belt still and then and then I applied to these strange things called ad agencies that he told me existed and you know, got the usual amounts of knockbacks and all the rest of it, like everybody does. Um, but sort of got a job at um, what was um, and still is one of the biggest agencies in in London, which is called Abbott Mead Vickers. And and I applied to do the only job that I sort of knew about, which is the account handling job. Which I guess for those of you who don't work in advertising, it's like I suppose it's the suit kind of role. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think someone, again, I had a massively lucky break because somebody I think in the process realised, you know, you'd be rubbish at that. I'm not organised enough. I'm not. Um, you know, jazz hands enough and all the rest of it. Uh, so this, they sort of steered me to this thing that I'd never heard of, um, which is to be a planner, which sounds like a ridiculous sort of job, it doesn't, and it doesn't really describe what you do, but it's about being, it's about the strategic part of, um, you know, the creative process. So defining yeah. what the brief is in the first place. Um, and that was like a brilliant, um, a brilliant steer again I was just very lucky on that front because that's what I've done ever since for the last you know almost 30 years now. 
And that's that sort of role sometimes called strategy as well, isn't yeah. it? Could you yeah. put you on the spot completely, but could you define the difference or is it is there any difference between planning and strategy? You know what? I've, I, I'm not sure there's a huge, I mean, I, th I think theoretically, um, uh, you know, this, this, this strategy is the big picture stuff and, um, uh, and, but there's also sort of tactical work that you might do. So I suppose strategy is when you sort of set out what the, um, what this brand is supposed to stand for for the next 10 years. Um, and then of course, there'll be individual briefs that come up, you know, where you have to react to something going on in society, or there's just like a one-off campaign to do something, um, which is more tactical. I mean, it should all ladder up to this bigger idea of the strategy, but I guess all of that is planning. Um, and sometimes you're doing uh, strategic work and sometimes you're doing more sort of tactical work, but they're, they're very, as you'll know, they're very interchangeably used. And I find myself calling myself both all the time. Yeah. Thanks for that though. That's probably one of the best explanations I've had because I've put a few people on the spot about that. And also if you're not in the industry, these terms are all completely alien and like coming in going, what's my, that? Like my you parents said. are friends, you know, when they say, it's, it's a nightmare to explain. So sometimes I just lie, you know, if someone says, <laughs> you make this, did you make do you shoot the ads are you the director i kind of can sometimes just go along with that if it keeps it, it shuts the conversation down it's like you just say i'm involved yes. yeah that's right yeah <laughs> sort of you know cool so you're in you're in that first ad agency and you've got your law degree and you and you kind of like you know in this world what what could you draw on from what you'd learn up to that point obviously you've been creative when you were growing up you've done the law degree you know what what sort of things did you sort of draw on well, I think, um, uh, you know, growing up, and I know I've sort of been slightly, not disparaging about it, but I've been joking about how quiet this sort of place was that I sort of grew up in. That, that turned out to be really useful because, um, you know, it's a very down-to-earth place, you know, a place where people don't have any airs or graces. Everyone's mixes in together. I went to the local comprehensive. You know, there was no... It, it, it's just like a very egalitarian and sort of... Um, you know, you mix with everybody. And so so that was like really helpful because of course, if, if you've got a job like that, you're, you're trying to understand all swathes of society and all sorts of different people. I think that that helped because it keeps you grounded and in touch with, you know, my you know family were, you know, there was people who were, my dad was a news agent, my mum's my family were coal miners, you know, um, you know, lots of plumbers and shipyard workers and you know, steel workers and things like that in the family. So it just sort of makes you, relate to uh just like real stuff because of course one of the problems that advertising has got is our version of creativity sometimes is like a million miles away from the people that we're actually talking to so i think that that was helpful yeah absolutely it's a really really good thing to have so um obviously you work in creative industries founded an agency a hugely successful agency so um are you do you still keep up some of those sort of creative activities that you did when you were younger I'm presuming the music's still a huge part of your life yeah no I really I still do a lot of music um you know again just for self um enjoyment now the really weird things happened that as I got in back into the cello after Ooh. um uh like 30 odd years so this weird thing happened when, when I was a kid this um very eccentric lady so this, bear in mind they're in this very ordinary part of the world and then this absolutely crazy eccentric la lady in her 70s who was one of the greatest cello teachers in the world inherited a house near us and so opened up she, she already had this big cello school like the best cello school in the world in London but she moved it to um in the middle of nowhere um not even in the village but outside the village to this mansion she inherited and then what she did was she was on this mission to tell all teach all the local kids um, you know, music. 
And so she was, she had a succession of all the best musicians in the world. I mean, the greatest, you know, properly sort of top quality musicians would come to learn from her, but she would make them then teach the local kids instruments and gave us all instruments. So you ended up in this very ordinary comprehension of all of us. I've had an amazing cello at the age of, you know, 10 and, you know, world-class tuition for a couple of years. And then, I, of course, I, then it became a bit boring because it's, it's not a cool instrument when you're a teenager necessarily. Yeah. So I gave that up. Anyway, fast forward to 30 years later, and so I turned 50 last year, and right at the start of lockdown, uh, my wife for my 50th birthday got me a cello as a surprise. And it's, it's been the most amazing thing. I mean, I'm still pretty terrible. Like, I'm scraping away trying to remember how to do it. But again, like I say, it's just more the you know, exercising a different part of your brain and your body and just gives me massive pleasure. So that is the one thing I've, I've become a bit fanatical about recently. Let's let's talk about the book. So Go Luck Yourself. Um, great title, by the way. Um, it's always good to have a cheeky title, I think, with these things. Um, obviously, the, the agency is called Lucky Generals. Is there any connection there at all? Well, sort of. I mean, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't. If it was like a total <laughs> coincidence, I'd never thought of it. But um, to be honest, I sort of wrote it be, sort of despite having an agent called Lucky Jones, because like last year, I I realised that I didn't really know anything about luck. People have asked me over the years, something, oh, why is it called Lucky Jones? And it comes from a Napoleon quote. You know, like somebody asked him, "What do you look for in your officers?" And he's he said, "Just bring me your lucky generals." Ah, right. Um, okay. You know, so um, people have got a track record rather than just a bullshitters. Um, but beyond that, I didn't really know anything about it. And, and then because I feel like a lot of the big stories of the last year have been about luck, like, you know, obviously the pandemic, amazing instance of bad luck for all of us. Um, but then, you know, things like, you know, Me Too or uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, sort of touch on privilege, which is obviously a different type of luck. Um, and, I, and I just realized, God, I don't even know what this thing is called luck, I, uh, even though I feel like it affects everything we do. And we've already explained, you know, talked about a couple of lucky breaks that I've had, and I'm sure everyone's the same. Um, and I think brands and organizations, you know, uh, and creativity generally, th there's always a bit of luck involved, but we never talk about it. It's like a real taboo, at least in the West. So I thought, you know, like a lot of good creative things, taboos are interesting, aren't they? If you can understand why do we never talk about this thing called luck? And actually, can we game the system to sort of stack the odds in our favor? So that's really the book is about how do we um, yeah, increase our chances of success by sort of, um, you know, gaming the system a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting about luck, because if you go to sort of like the Chinese culture and other sort mm -hmm. of Eastern cultures, there's um, definitely a big part of luck play plays in their culture, like gifting things for luck and all this sort yeah. of thing, you know. So um, it's really what did you just sort of discover about it? Do, do you think there's sort of there's something in it or is it just sort of mystical kind of? No, I think it's, it's, it's very much. And it's interesting because a lot of the other things that you've got on the blog and the various other you know, creative people have talked to you about. Um, back this up I think you know that in the west we've got this belief you know people will often say there's no such thing as luck you you know the harder you work the luckier you get and obviously we all have to work hard um, but there comes a point when as you've kind of explored yourself you know we're going for a walk around the block or having a shower or you know playing a musical instrument or going to the movies or reading a book or all those other things they're more likely to help you strike it lucky than just slogging away relentlessly in the same old fashion you're sitting in front of your computer all day and so you know luck is the friend of creativity rather than you know the enemy of it and I think there's lots of things you can do I mean again um, I think this is something you perhaps have talked about before where you know great musicians of you know Bowie cutting up his bits of newspaper so you'd, you'd, you'd get a newspaper and cut it up and throw the words in the air and they would create new patterns and um, I love the fact that Tom Waits listens to two radios at the same time 
and then listens for because he's on they're on different stations so he listens for clashes or unusual connections between the lyrics and stuff like that um so there's a lot the, the point in the book is that you can do these things deliberately so that these happy accidents don't have to be accidental you can actually sort of make them happen more regularly by adopting some little practices like that yeah i think that's really cool do you, do you have a, like a favorite one just like out, out, out of uh... yeah, well i like one of the things i often do is like try and find uh you know run towards a problem because like we're, we're all sort of trained to kind of find out you know whether as a lawyer or as a um, creative person you find out well what is this what is the strong point of my argument what is the you know accentuate the positive which is good up to a point but but sometimes if you find a negative and you can turn that into a positive then that's really magic you know it's the old guinness strategy isn't it where you know good things come to those who wait they've turned something terrible which is the pint takes ages to pour <laughs> into this amazing beautiful higher order sort of thought and so what i quite often do is when i get a brief I, obviously i find out where the good things are about the product but I'll also then go on social media and I'll go to the snarkiest, sort of bitchiest parts of, you know, Reddit or Twitter and find out what are the nasty jokes that are made about this product? What are the cartoons that are done about this thing? Um, and because there's often a little element of, um, you know, truth in those snarky comments that you can do a judo move on and, and flip into something more interesting. So obviously you had to write this and that's quite hard in itself because writing a book is no yeah. mean feat. Did, were there any kind of tips and tricks that you had to apply the, to, to the writing process to kind of move yourself forward and motivate yourself to get it done? Yeah, well, just having a deadline helps, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, again, a lot of creativity and a lot of luck is about turning something that looks like a bad thing, like, oh God, I've got this deadline, but just use the deadline to your advantage and force yourself to do it. I would never have done it if it hadn't been in this kind of unusual time over the last sort of year or so, but um yeah and then biting you know doing it in bite-sized chunks um so that that was sort of helpful um giving yourself a sort of a bigger goal so in my case i decided to quite early on right at the beginning to sort of give all the royalties to an organization that helps working class kids get a lucky break into the industry um so and that that was you know i felt like i needed to do that anyway to give it a, you know the, the, it's a book about luck so um and I have been lucky over my career and other people haven't. So I felt I needed to do that anyway, just morally. Um, but also it was quite, quite practically useful because then then you'd be letting them down if you didn't get on with it. So it's like when you tell people you're going to run a marathon or you're going to give up smoking or something like that, then then you're screwed because you've, you've told them that you're going to do it. You've got to do it. So, so you talk it's commercial break, the organisation, the royalties yeah. are going for. Talk a bit more about them, because how did you get involved with them? The leader of it um, is a guy called James Hillhouse, and I've worked with him. So he's another strategist or planner or whatever you want to call them um, from back in the day. So I've known him for a long time. And then he's uh, set this up, you know, in recognition that, you know, class is one of these things that people have, you know, something to forget about um, as we think about how to build more diverse businesses. And so he's really good because he helps um, both candidates, you know, so working class kids, he'll help them sort of get their, you know, CVs and their skills in shape to apply for jobs, but it'll also help organisations um, be more mindful of how they recruit and, but, but crucially also how they behave when people are, you know, people join, because what happens is a lot of the time is people might come in the door, because we're all sort of more mindful if we must, you know, hire more diversely, but then, then they get spat out of the machine sort of early on, because maybe, you know that things haven't been set up in a way that's going to help them uh so yeah they do lots of you know really good work with agents including ourselves we've used them before um so i thought that was a as a nice sort of uh fitting cause for book about luck what other projects have you got that you're excited about that you can tell us about 
Well, we just launched in America. So that's um, like a really exciting thing for us. In fact, we did it just before lockdown. So it's been a funny sort of, you know, we've got this very nice office in uh, Fifth Avenue in, in New York that's sitting lying empty. So that's uh, uh, oh, no. an interesting financial sort of move. But but ultimately, look, I'm good. So we do a lot of good work and we've always done a lot of work in America. We're always, you know, th- again, good ideas travel, don't they? Um, so, you know, we've done Super Bowl stuff for Amazon, you know, that's, you know, currently sort of Emmy nominated so that that's um yeah, yeah that's that's crossed. so exciting to yeah. you know work, work in advertising you feel like this tv and film world's over here and then you're getting nominated for Emmys exactly. that's incredible. actually I think the first time and well, we have been nominated for before actually but the um like most time when we tell our friends or you know parents or whatever that you know we've got it's the DNAD awards or the <laughs> IP awards they've never heard of any of these things at least they've heard of the Emmys um so so that yeah, that's really exciting, and I I feel like America's interesting because it's at its best. I mean, obviously there's a lot of bad American advertising, but at its best American advertising is amazing because it's it's it does sell. You know, they're very persuasive. They've got great salesmanship, um, but they do so with you know fun or with you know emotion. They you know um they they've got a lot to teach us. I think so. Yeah. That that's a really exciting thing, and of course it's sort of slightly paused over the last 18 months we've been a wee bit quiet but you know we're looking forward to sort of um, getting back into that um you know once things get a wee bit more normal yeah really excited you guys are doing some great work at the moment and uh really really always uh, excited to see when you've got new campaigns coming out they're always very good so it's cool um thanks very much i really appreciate your time yeah it's been lovely talking to you thank you very much